if we could uh, come come back in. I'm I'm glad it takes us a long time to get back together because it means we all enjoy each other, or at least act like we do. Um, I'm gonna go with we actually do. I would have done the former ladder, but I get this mixed up. Um, so before we give our reader scripture this morning, um, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Josiah, and we're gonna give some books away this morning, the same book three times. It's so many mountains, which ones to climb, what really matters in church life. Written by Aaron Osborne, who is a pastor at Metro Life, who is a part of Grace Partnership. And I just kind of want to ask us first, how many of us in here look at the world, look at church life, and just feel overwhelmed? Raise your hand. This book applies to you. So, in this section green shirt. I saw your hand go up. going to give one to you. I should have brought all three books. Now I'm going to have to walk back and forth. Thanks, Josiah. I wasn't talking to myself. There's another Josiah. Next. You've got a book. And then Mr. John even though you're in that hideous blue and orange. I forgive you, yes. But this is just a great book. Um, we have looked at it, me and Lisa have ourselves. But just are, you, are we more aware of what divides us or what unites us? Do you have more clarity on what you are against or what you are for? Are you willing to die on a mountain that is not worth dying on. These are a few of the questions that Aaron seeks to answer in this book. So many mountains, which ones to climb? You cannot climb every mountain, nor should you. But which ones should you climb? Should you go for the most difficult, the highest, or the one off the beaten path? This book will seek to answer that. So, I encourage you to take a look at the review, and then also take a look at the book. Now, this morning, our scripture reading, the reviews are right over there, by the way. Our scripture reading this morning comes from James 5. If you would, please stand. I'll pray for us, and then we'll read, the, read this passage. James 5, verse 19. If you would, please pray with me. Almighty God, and you are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Open our eyes that we may see the wonders of your word and give us grace that we may clearly understand and freely choose the way of your wisdom. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. James five, nineteen. My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will overcome a multitude of sins. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, church. Good 
good to be here with you. I'm excited to be here and preach this. Did we change this thing? All right. It, it always, okay. Felt different last time. Give me one moment to get adjusted here. Uh, actually, let's, um, let's pray real quick again, if you don't mind. Father, we thank you for this morning, and uh, I just uh, want to add um, to Josiah's wonderful prayer that I ask that you awaken our minds to be attentive uh, listeners. I ask that you fan the flame in our hearts and energize us to put feet and hands to what we learn in here this morning that we will be uh, not hearers only of your word, but doers also. Uh, So we ask that all this be done to your glory. Amen. Amen. So this morning, we are finishing up, not only preaching through the book of James, but we are also finishing up our our larger series that we've been going through, um, through Galatians and James. And the banner that we've been kind of waving over this whole series has been, you are saved by faith alone, and a saving faith is never alone. So, sorry, this podium. Did somebody change this podium? It really feels like it. I've never, it's like the angle, I don't want to, I'm sorry, I don't want to make a thing about it. It just, okay, sorry. Sorry about that. Sorry. I'm just not used to. You are saved by faith alone, and a saving faith is never alone. That's the banner of our series between Galatians and James. Uh, So on the one side, we have Paul, who wrote Galatians, and Paul is hammering home this point all throughout Galatians. The law cannot save you. Your works cannot save you. Traditions cannot save you. It is only Christ alone, by the grace of God alone, through the gift of faith alone, that you can be saved. All throughout Galatians, Paul is chipping away and taking away every ground for the self to take credit in salvation. He, he leaves no place for anyone to stand in their own righteousness before God. You are saved by faith alone. So that's Paul on the one side. On the other side, you have James, and he's tearing down this error that, that often comes from Paul's teaching. The error is, okay, well, if we're saved by faith alone, then it doesn't matter how we live. Then works don't matter. James is not going to let that stand. He will not allow the true and living faith to be twisted into uh, a doctrine of dead faith of faith without works. And so we have Paul demolishing works salvation on the one side, and we have James burying the lie of a, of a dead faith on the other side. And so where does that leave us? Well, we are, we are left with a very straight and a very narrow path. And I, I have to be honest with you, it's going to take a miracle for us to stay on this path. It's going to take a miracle. I believe that 
part of that miracle comes in, uh, in, in the form of a very unexpected package. And that package is the gift of wanderers and bring backers in the church. Part of the miracle of us staying on the path and not following, falling into the errors of work salvation and dead faith comes in the form of uh, God's gift to the church of wanderers and bring backers. So I'm going to reread our text this morning since it's so short, just to remind you of it. James 5, 19 and 20. James closes by saying, My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. So here's the big idea. Here's the main thing I'd like for you all to walk away with. The presence of struggle in the visible church is a means of grace by which God tries the confession of our mouths and he confirms the quality of our faith. And all this is leading to the upbuilding and edification of the invisible church. So those terms, visible church and invisible church, we'll touch on those to, to be clear about what we mean by that. But that's, that's the big idea. So in our text this morning, we have two kinds of people found in the church. I'm going to keep emphasizing in the church uh, for reasons that hopefully will be clear later. But we've got two kinds of people. We've got the wanderers and the bringbackers. Couldn't think of a better way to describe them, but just people who bring back wanderers, bringbackers. And so, I've got two points to make from this text, and then my third point is going to be uh, an attempt to confront us with this text, okay? Um, first point is wanderers in the church. Wanderers in the church. The Christian life is not always easy, and it's also not always safe. There are many dangers, toils, and snares. There are many temptations and trials, fears, doubts, many errors on every side. And the fact that there are wanderers within the church shows us that the Christian life is not always easy or safe. So the question uh, that has gained prominence more recently in our culture today, but it's a question that has always been asked from day one, what are we to make of people who once claimed to be Christian and, and then uh, at some time forsake that claim or reject that claim? Well, there are two, there are two common responses from, from cr the Christian culture today. And I want to say up front that I believe that they're, they're, they're trying to get at something good. They're recognizing that there's something wrong here and they're trying to handle it. Um, but we, but we can't buy into them, okay? So just up front on that. Uh, so here's two common responses. One is, one, one part of Christianity says, they teach that you get salvation when you believe, and if you decide to not believe anymore or walk away or wander from the faith, then you lose your salvation. And, and by implication, uh, if you were to change your mind and 
believe again, you would get your salvation back and you could potentially lose it again. And uh, there's, you're always in this flux of depending on where you are confessing and where you feel you are, that, that, that your salvation is contingent upon that. Okay? Um, even though this is a, 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 an error, um, I want to mention that they're trying to get at the fact that it matters how you live. That's, why, that's where this teaching comes from. Uh, they believe, okay, well, if you say you believe something and you're not living like it, or if you just reject that you believe something, it, it shouldn't make a difference in your Christian life. Um, uh, another response to people who walk away from the faith they once professed is the, some say that, well, once you say the prayer, uh, then it's a done deal. That you cannot ever lose your salvation even if you later reject it. Uh, this teaching is trying to recognize that there is power in confessing belief in Christ. It, they're, they're recognizing that it matters what you say. Okay, so on the one hand, you have this error that is trying to, uh, trying to recognize that it matters what you do and how you live, and another error that is trying to recognize that it matters what you say and what you confess, okay? And I want to uh, just say that these are deadly errors, and they're deadly errors because they fail to recognize or understand the unity of Paul and James uh, and their teaching on what true faith is. That's kind of why I'm belaboring this point here, that the issue of wanderers or the, or the issue of people who leave the faith at a point in time has been being addressed all throughout Galatians, our series on Galatians and James. All throughout our series, Paul has been telling us that you are saved by faith alone. And all throughout James, James has been telling us this is what true faith, true saving faith looks like. Okay. And, that, and that understanding gets rid of these errors that I was just talking about. Now, in, a big, in the big idea, I'm talking about the visible church and the invisible church. So I, I need you to, um, to put it in King James language, gird up the loins of your mind. Um, hang with me for a second. This is going to feel like maybe a rabbit trail or it's going to feel like a tangent, but it's not. What we're actually doing is digging deeper beneath the surface issues so that we can get a better understanding of the place of wanderers in the church. Okay, so hang with me. We'll get through this. So here's where we need to make some distinctions. The visible church, and these are just terms that other people have made up and they, they seem to work. If you can come up with some better ones, that's fine. Just get the concepts here. The visible church is made up of the people who profess to be followers of Christ. They are professing to follow Christ. Uh, this is the group of people that James and Paul are writing to. The churches in Galatia, the the Churches, the, the tribes scattered in the diaspora, James and, and, and Paul are writing to the churches in their areas. Now, what we need to know is that when Paul and James are writing these letters, they don't have some secret knowledge of who has true saving faith of and who does not. They're writing to the church that they can see, the church that has gathered under the banner of, of the confession of Christ, okay? That's the visible church. The invisible church is known only by God, and it's made up of God's elect. Uh, 
Now, as, as, a, as a Reformed Christian, I, I rejoice in that word elect, but I also understand that there are some people who it makes uncomfortable. So I want to make something clear. When I'm talking about the elect, uh, what we are trying to say is not that we know who the elect are or that it's our job to point out who the elect are. All we're trying to do is, is, is recognize and honor that God has elected a people for himself. He knows who they are and he knows how to get them. Okay, it's, that's not, this idea of the invisible church is not for us to identify and to draw lines in the sand about. So, um, the, the doctrine of election is a beautiful and glorious doctrine uh, that brings much comfort to me. But uh, just know that this idea of the invisible church is not uh, something that we can determine or see. So the invisible church is known only by God, and it is made up of God's elect. And the invisible church is made up of those who profess the faith, okay? And their faith will be shown to be a living and saving faith, not only talk, right? Again, you should be able to hear echoes of James and, and Galatians all throughout this year. So the point is that everybody, not everybody in the visible church is part of the invisible church, okay? So what we're going to do right now is go through some scriptures, and, and I just restricted them to Galatians and James so that we can pull them right out of the series that we've been going through, and I want to show you and, and, and demonstrate for you that Paul and James recognize these distinctions, even if they don't use these terms, and then we'll end up coming back to these texts a little bit later, okay? So we're going to start going through... Uh, a couple scriptures out of each book. Uh, Galatians chapter 1, verses 6 and 7, Paul writes to the church in Galatia, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. So there are people in the church who are deserting Christ, and are turning to a different gospel. Uh, wanderers. Uh, Galatians 2, 11 through 13. But when Peter came to Antioch, this is Paul recounting a story, uh, an, uh, an encounter he had. When Peter came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back and he separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him, so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. There are people who are being led astray or being uh, led into the life of a wanderer by, uh, by Peter's hypocrisy. Galatians 3.1, O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly, publicly portrayed as crucified. This church is being bewitched. They're being deceived. Uh, James 1.22, Be ye doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Again, James is writing to the church, the professing church, the visible church. And these, there are, are members among this, within these churches that are being deceived. James 1.26, If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. 
wanderers. And finally, uh, one, of the, one of the harsher ones from James, uh, James 4, 4, you adulterous people, you church people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. How can a professing Christian be an enemy of God? So, the reality of the visible church and the invisible church is all throughout the Bible, Old and New Testament. And there have always been and there always will be wanderers. So, we're going to move on to our next point, um, but I just want to reinforce... uh, our attitude, our mindset towards wanderers, okay? Again, our job is not to make the judgment call on where certain wanderers stand, where their hearts are really at. Our job is to be uh, faithful to the one true gospel that we've been given in God's word and to encourage the church, the professing church, to hold fast to that. So when we, when we see people, whether they're... they're uh, high profile or just within our family circles, when we see people wander from the faith, we do not say, well, I guess their faith never was true. Um, We don't speak this way because we don't know what the Lord may yet do. Okay? The Lord knows their heart and he knows how to accomplish his plan and he knows how to gather his people. And it's not always going to look pretty from our perspective. As long as there is breath in the wanderer's lungs, there is opportunity for repentance and salvation. And that should be our prayer. Okay, point two. First we looked at uh, the wanderers, now we're looking at the bringbackers. As I said in the beginning, part of the miracle of staying on the straight and narrow path uh, comes in the form of having wanderers and bringbackers given to the church. Um, we are so prone to wander that we can easily identify with that, with that category. But what about the one who brings the wanderer back? Maybe that's just the pastor's job. Uh, maybe that's just the, the men and women who have been to school and have had special training in that. Well, elders should be equipped to teach as scripture says, but that doesn't let us off the hook. Every member in the body of Christ has a purpose and a gifting to be used for the mutual edification of the whole body. No matter how uh, seemingly insignificant it may be. So it is not your position in the church that qualifies you to be a bringbacker. It's the condition of your faith. So how does one become a bringbacker? Not by accident. It's kind of like a good marriage. It doesn't happen on accident. So I hear. So I hear. That's what I hear. But um, anyways, sorry. you don't become a bringbacker by accident. Okay. So I want to mention four characteristics of a bringbacker. These characteristics aren't um, like meant to be taken in order or there's specific steps. They're just four characteristics. I recognize if I, if I were to write a book called The Art of Bringbacking, 
these would be the four main headings, okay, the main sections. And uh, I'm going to, again, illustrate these characteristics with the scriptures that we've been going through in Galatians and James. And some of them might sound familiar to you. So first, a bring-backer must be discerning. That is, you must know the faith that you profess. We cannot see error if we are ignorant of the truth. So consider the discernment required when Paul confronted Peter in Galatians 2. We just read this here. So Paul said, when, I, when, I, when Peter came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him, so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. That's the wonderer part we were talking about. And Paul goes on to say, But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel... I said to Peter before them all, if you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? Paul was able to immediately see that their living was not in step with the truth of the gospel. He was immediately able to discern the danger of Peter's hypocrisy. Why? Uh, because Paul knew what he believed. He knew the truth so well that the slightest movement towards error raised red flags in his mind. So a bringbacker must be discerning. A bringbacker must also uh, be reminding. You must remind the wanderer of God's grace in their lives. What this means is that there must be some kind of meaningful relationship that you have with these people, with the wanderer. It's not enough to be able to just point out error and leave it at that. There needs to be a relational uh, foundation where you know the person well enough to remind them of, of where they come from and what God has done in their lives. Galatians 3, 1 through 5. Again, we've already touched on some of this. Oh, foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. There's the wandering church. Then he goes on to say, let me ask you this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing of faith? Are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? The Galatian church was bewitched by a false doctrine, and Paul is trying to break this spell of deception by reminding them of how the Lord first worked in their lives. So a bringbacker needs to be discerning. A bringbacker needs to be able to remind the wanderer of what God has done in their lives already. Third, a bringbacker must be able to warn. You must warn the wanderer that leaving Christ can only lead to death and darkness and despair. Oh, we must truly fear the prospect of living in this world without Christ. And the wanderer needs to know that. James 4, 1 through 4. Um, what causes quarrels and fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and you do not have, and so you murder. 
You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. James is saying there's a price to pay for making yourself a friend with the world. And it turns you over to quarrels and fights and murder and uh, doing everything you can to fulfill your worldly passions. And finally, a bringbacker must be able to plead, must be pleading. And what I mean by this is that you must be willing to pour yourself out for the wanderer. You cannot really plead for someone that you do not really love. You cannot really plead for someone that you do not really love. James 5, 7 through 11. Be patient. This is James pleading with this struggling church. Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and the late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Don't grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. Uh, there, there, are, there are tons of other examples we could use, but those are the, those are the four characteristics of what a bringbacker is. They must be discerning. They must be able to remind the wanderer of their past, of what God has done in their lives. They must be able to warn the wanderer of the reality of what's at stake. And they must be able to plead with the wanderer, to, to give themselves, to, to, in a sense, sacrifice themselves, to lay their lives down for their wandering brother or sister. So you don't accidentally become a bringbacker. It is the high calling of every saint. So those are the two, the two points that are kind of drawn from the text, and now I just want to finish by, by confronting us with this text. So I've got two questions for the visible church at Trinity. Uh, at Trinity. The one question is, uh, to the wanderer, to whom will you go? And the second question is, bring backer, to whom will you call them? So first, wanderer, to whom will you go? There's uh, just a few examples of where I've seen wanderers try to go. Uh, will you go to science? Science has attained a godlike status in our culture today. Uh, but true science can only exist in God's world. Science crumbles into nonsense the second that it is taken out of the biblical worldview. And uh, 
Yeah, I appreciate that. But for those of you that don't buy that, uh, please come talk with me. I, 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 this is something I've struggled through myself, and um, yeah, let's talk about it. So science, what we find is that science is a great tool, but it is a lousy, lousy God. Well, wanderer, will you go to culture? Culture exerts a powerful influence on people. Culture is an outside pressure that threatens our inside peace. But it is only a momentary threat. Culture is constantly tossed about by every wind of change. It claims to offer freedom, but it only entangles us into a deeper and deeper bondage. For example, the sexual rebellion in our culture today, uh, the rebellion of identity, of rejecting identity, these movements all claim to grant freedom of expression, but they are only leading to more and more death and darkness. Finally, wanderer, will you go to your own heart? Follow your heart if you're sinless. Uh, I, I wasn't going to say this, but my daughter is not in here, and nobody tell her that I say this. She has a pajama set, and I'm realizing as I'm saying this that it might have been someone in here that bought this for her. So <laughs> if she did, I'm sorry. Uh, we can work through it, okay? So she has this pajama set, and on the shirt, it says, follow your heart. And I know what it's trying to say, okay? She's a little princess. She wants to be a warrior princess, a ninja princess, but she's a little princess. And, uh, but she's got this shirt, and I have been tempted. I have been tempted when doing the laundry to take that shirt and go burn it, (laughs) like a purification ritual type thing. Uh, but that's just, that's just my, I get what they're getting at. And if, and if, if you, uh, if you bought that for my daughter, she loves it and, uh, she'll learn one day, but can you follow your heart? We, we all know, I think even my, my daughter would know if we were able to put words to it, that, uh, from experience that though our hearts are very passionate, they are often very wrong. Our hearts are constantly deceiving us. Our hearts are idol factories, always pursuing the things that cannot save us and cannot satisfy us. Now, I want to be clear in saying all that, that science, culture, and your heart are all good gifts of God, from God, and they're to be used in service to him. But they are all cheats when they take God's place. So, wanderer, to whom will you go? Uh, Please consider that it is one thing to struggle with questions about your faith. It's one thing to struggle about the faith that you once professed, but you also have to look at the alternatives. If you leave the God of love, then where can you go except into despair? If you flee Christ, who is himself the fountain of life, into whose arms can you run except death. 
If you turn your back on the light of the gospel, what option do you have but to descend into a deeper and deeper darkness? It's one thing to struggle with your faith and to have questions. That's a good thing, I think. But we must be honest and look at what our alternatives are. Because you will worship someone or something. You don't leave the Christian faith and all of a sudden turn into a non-worshiping creature. You will have a God and you will have a gospel. So I encourage you not to wander away because of the struggle. Instead, persevere. Hold fast to that little seed, however little it is, that little seed of faith that you once had. And through patience, your faith will be tried and it will be refined into something stronger than it ever was before. You will look back on these hard times that you're in the midst of now and you'll look back on them with joy and gratefulness because your once wavering faith has been proven to be a living faith. So the first question for the visible church at Trinity, one to the wanderer, who, to whom will you go? The second question, the bring backer, to whom will you call them? This will be a bit quicker because I'm just drawing this from the four characteristics that I'm laying out in my book that I'm not writing <laughs> called The Art of Bring Backing. So uh, how will you come to know the faith that you profess? Okay, if you're going to be a discerning bring backer, how will you come to know the faith that you profess? doesn't happen by accident. Sign up for these classes. Uh, join in on going through the systematic theology. Gather with brothers and sisters and learn of the Lord. You need to know your faith. You cannot discern error if you are ignorant of the truth. If you care for the wanderer, you've got to have somebody to call them back to. How will you be able to remind people of what God has done in their past, in the, in, the, in the past of the wanderer? You cannot remind the wanderers of Christ's work in their life if you don't have some kind of relationship with them. This is a call to community, and not just a community of like hobbies and like interests, and not just a community of people that you're comfortable with. How will you warn people of a danger that you yourself do not see? If you do not fear living life without Christ, why in the world should the wanderer take you seriously about the warnings you give them? This is a call to authenticity of where you're at. And how can you plead for people that you don't love? That's the, that's the fourth point there. The fourth question to the bring backer. How can you plead for people that you don't love? Love invites a pouring out of self for the welfare of the other. So to, to restate the big idea of this text, 
of this message, the presence of struggle in the visible church is a means of grace by which God tries the confession of our mouth and confirms the quality of our faith, leading to the building up of the invisible church. So I hope that we can see by now that the, the wanderer and the bringbacker are not two permanent groups of people. Uh, the intention here is not to say uh, that to draw a line in the sand and say, well, this is us, whoever, and this is them. Uh, right now, at this moment, we might be able to identify where we feel we stand, and we might be able to see the lives of other people and, and have a guess at where they might stand. But that's right now. That's for the moment. And we know, we all know that various trials will come, and our faith will again be tested. So, to the bring-backer, I encourage you, consider your position of strength that you're in right now as a blessing from God, but also as a calling from God. It's a, it's a blessing to be given to others, to be used in serving those who are not so strong at the moment. And to the wanderer, this, this will may be hard to listen to or even think of, but I want you to imagine a day when you yourself will be pleading with a friend who you recognize is going through the same struggles that you had gone through, and you're pleading with them as a bring-backer. Uh, can you imagine one day being so grounded in your faith that you are strong enough to support not only yourself, but to hold up a faltering brother or sister. As I said, that, that might sound like a dream to you where you're at right now, but it's, it, it will happen. Uh, Psalm 136, we all should have it drilled into our brains by now. The steadfast love of the Lord endures forever, or his mercy endures forever, whatever translation you want to use. Uh, the Lord does not give up on his children. So wanderer, seek out brothers and sisters who can come alongside you, who can walk with you through this time of wandering and trust that Christ will use his church to bring back the wandering. So it's a grace of God. It is a grace of God to allow these groups, these two groups, the wanderer and the bringbacker into the church. The weak and the strong, we need each other for the mutual upbuilding of the body the strengthening of the church. And wherever we may find ourselves today, know that there will be a time in the future where we may be on the other side and in need of that other side. And this is a good thing. It's a good thing to have wanderers and bringbackers in the church. Why? Uh, because the wanderer and the bringbacker are a part of the miracle that we need to stay on this very straight and very narrow path of life. So, Sydney, if you guys want to come up, and I'll close in prayer. And we're going to sing a response song. It may cause a little deja vu, but it's a good one. It's worth doing again. Father, I do thank you so much for your word. And I, I thank you for your church. 
I thank you for the weak and for the strong. Thank you for the trials of life. I thank you for the questions that plague us. Even in the times of, of darkness and confusion, when we don't understand what's going on, I thank you that you do. And you are not caught off guard. You are not taken aback. And you are not mistaken. So we entrust our, our souls to you, and we entrust the visible church to you. We entrust Trinity Community Church to you, knowing that you will uh, always be faithful to bring your children to you. Be with us today, and let your word sink deep into our hearts, Lord. In Christ's name we pray, amen.